0: Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am here with Nathaniel Ruiz. Nathaniel is a PhD student in Image and Video Computing Group at Boston University. Uh, Nathaniel, welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, it is great to have a chance to chat with you. I'm looking forward to digging into our topic, which is some work you've recently done on disrupting deepfakes. fakes. Uh, but before we dive into that, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started working in ML and AI. Yeah,
1: so the first kind of project that I did in AI um, was a computer vision project when I was doing an internship here at MIT. And it was about basically detecting um, diseases in cassava plants. And we were going to deploy the application in Uganda. So that was kind of like my first introduction to like deep neural networks and image processing type of stuff. And I thought that was incredibly interesting, just like the potential of of these types of applications and this new technology, right? Or this technology that had been advancing like very recently. So I got really interested in it. Um, Then I did my master's at Georgia Tech. So that was right after that uh, internship. Um, and then, so at Georgia Tech, um, I met uh, a mentor and, and my professor there, who was my advisor for my master's, uh, Jim Ray, and I joined this group and, and did a lot of stuff. So I got interested, I guess, in, uh, they do a lot of work on autism and behavioral imaging for autism, trying to like diagnose or model uh, behavior and attention uh, mm-hmm. in, in toddlers or kids. So I thought that was um What's really an example of a, a, a model that they built? So I, we have we have several works on on uh, so there were already they were already doing several works on gaze estimation or attention estimation and when I joined that group I worked with Eunji Chang, one of my collaborators and she just graduated actually from that group um, and we did uh, behavior modeling and and attention modeling in scenes so now just more in general like. On a, if you're if you're looking at a person from a third person point of view, like a, uh, an image or a video of someone, you can actually detect where they're attending in the scene. Mm-hmm. And this work kind of generalizes and you can basically um, detect where the person is attending to in the scene. And it could even be like if they turn their head, this could pick up that type of attention towards the back of the room, for example. Or if they're looking at the camera, they're not looking at any object inside of the scene. They're looking at something, you know beyond the frame and mm-hmm. it could also detect that type of attention so i got really basically interested in um in faces mostly just in human beings and in faces in in image and video so i think a lot of my work kind of like goes from that and then um yeah that's how i got you know to to recent kind of projects that i've been doing and how long have you been at uh bu this is my second year so i about a year
0: a year and a half ago i started my phd with uh my advisor, Stan Sklarov. What got you started working on or looking at deepfakes?
1: So actually um, in the past year, I was uh, I was always very interested in, in deepfakes, especially like there's a video where, where there's like deepfakes of Obama mm-hmm. uh, using a lot of uh, computer graphics, right? Um, mm-hmm. they, they use deep neural networks and computer graphics. And this was like about like, two or three years ago, there were like some big advancements. And you can see very realistic, basically reanimations of, of Obama's face. Yeah. Um, that already, you know, got me very interested when I was at Georgia Tech, but I think it didn't have like the technical expertise, like really tackle it at that point. Um, and more recently, I think the things that have been most impressive are, are um, the deepfake applications where you only grab, using only one image of a person, you can basically create more images or video of that person uh, with different expressions and moving their head um, and that's been like really amazing i think there's a work by samsung uh, neural talking heads or something um, i don't actually remember the, the the full title but it's just amazing how just with one image they can they can create these types of things so i, I had been working on um, generative models for faces recently and while i was working on that i had a conversation with stan my advisor there's always the privacy issue right like when you're going to try to release a paper you have all these issues that whose faces can i actually use for this work and also kind of the um, reaction of the public i think there's a lot of good that could come out of these applications but definitely a lot of bad that can come out of them right now the good part is you could have like actors in movies you could basically edit their their faces in real time and not ask them to shoot a scene again maybe if they like um, failed, you know, and their expression wasn't perfectly what you wanted at that point. And there's a lot of, of different, you know, cool applications that you can do with UI, UX and, and uh, you know, sending videos of yourself through through an iPhone or something. Um, but there's also really bad stuff that we've seen, actually. Like the first thing that uh, started happening is, uh, you know, they, they've been using deepfakes in, in pornography, right? Uh, just switching faces into pornographic scenes. And it's just, you know, completely immoral and the potential for damage is so big. So basically, you know, there's always that effect. If you're publishing something on this topic that you could um, be helping people that want to do bad, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that whole thing was in my head all that time. And during a conversation, we are talking about the privacy issue. So these, networks are uh, called uh, image translation networks so this this uh, work by Samsung is an image translation network that goes like from one image to you know a new image with a different expression and pose they also Mm -hmm. can fine-tune it with like several images but in general that's kind of the framework that a lot of these new works are um, are applying so star again also style again of these organimation also was it was a I think 2017 ECCV paper I think got guess best paper and basically putting new expressions on a person's face. So changing my expression from an image to be like smiling. And you've seen like applications of this um, in apps like FaceApp, you know, that's become very famous. So um, this, you know, image translation network is kind of simple. It's like um, a neural network that goes from an image to another image and you kind of specify what the output you want it to be basically. So, um, and there's this all of this other work on adversarial attacks, right, um, that everyone has been hearing because, you know, you don't want to have, an adversarial attack is basically an imperceptible perturbation on an image that a human being doesn't notice, but that, that can completely fool a neural network. Right. So, you know, this thing has been explored since 2013 for classifiers. So if you had a neural network that tells you, hey, there's a pedestrian in the scene, you know, or not. Um, then you can fool this classifier. So everyone is obviously freaked out about the possibility of this, you know, becoming a reality to attack, you know, neural networks in the wild with this type of thing. So both of these, like, kind of fashionable ideas in my head, I think, you know, it just popped out of nowhere. Like, so maybe uh, during that conversation, maybe if we um, attack, you know, uh, an image translation network, you'll be able to protect your images from from being converted into
0: deepfakes. The, the premise of this work is, you know, j- it sounds like just like in the adversarial attacks, you're injecting noise to uh, an image or, or you're injecting noise uh, against an image and then disrupting the classifier. Here you're trying to inject noise uh, on an image and disrupt the ability of some generative model to um, do whatever it's trying to do to manipulate that image is that the the general idea
1: yeah exactly so in the classifier scenario you um you have you know an image that goes into the class into the deep neural network and then you want a class that comes out of it so if it's a dog picture you want it to classify it as a dog right and a, mm-hmm. and an attack in that situation um, would be to make it classify it as you know a cat for example so mm-hmm. a wrong class or you could be a targeted class like you want it to actually always classified as a cat, you could do a targeted attack or an untargeted attack to like um, drive it away from the class, the dog class. So it could be any other class, like, you know, lizard, the one that's closest. So the closest boundary, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, In this case, it's um, kind of like um, a more general, um, it's, it's a harder thing to quantify, right? If you have like an image translation network that goes from an image of a person, you know, my face you know like with a serious face and then someone wants me imagine just like basically this is one of the types of applications for this is imagine there's a picture of me in like a serious situation right Um, and I'm like a political figure or something right Um, and then someone grabs this image uses Ganimation which is you know it's working right now you could actually use this or or star again or anything or cycle and you and changes my expression into like a smiling expression right Mm -hmm. that's already directly an image to image deep fake that can have a lot of impact Basically, and the idea is to you know um, make this type of transformation impossible. Or basically, the idea of artwork is to make it either obvious or to completely disrupt the output such that it's too corrupted. It's so easy to notice that it's been corrupted. Basically, mm-hmm. so that a human observer can be can either doubt um, the source of the image, or you know that that the image has been manipulated, or it can you know, or it's unusable, basically. It's like gibberish or black, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: That's basically the idea. And so you make it sound so simple, but I'm sure, you know, flipping through the paper, there's a lot of work that went into this. Where, you know, where, what were the the challenging parts? And, and how did you take this from kind of idea to a working model? Yeah,
1: so I think actually... Um, the idea, so what what I loved about the idea is that it was so simple and it was so obviously useful. That's what really got me excited at mm-hmm. first, right? Um, and it's actually, you know the first like couple of weeks of implementing all of this was actually not very hard because the the main idea of of trying to destroy an output using an adversarial attack in an image translation network, it's actually a lot of these image translation networks are very susceptible to attack. Um, Mm -hmm. And some of them are a little bit more protected and maybe some of our future work is going to be on that type of thing. Like which architectures have more protection than others? Why are some difficult to attack and why are some easier to attack, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, the paper, so I think a lot of it went on, you know, a lot of the work on the paper went on... um, Showing that this is possible with a lot of different types of architectures, showing a lot of very good examples that it's like a solid technique, basically. And you know, there are some. So basically, this this paper is kind of like the first or one of the first steps into this kind of domain, because in general, um, so for this type of you know attack, it's called a white box attack, where you need to know all of the parameters of the neural network, and you need to know the neural network that the, that they're using, right? so that's a big you know kind of if in the real world Mm -hmm. this but definitely this could work at this moment you know because a lot of um, attacks or a lot of deepfakes, I'm sorry, are um, very low effort. So a lot of things happen where um, someone puts an architecture online on GitHub, right? And then promotes it on Reddit, for example. And then a lot of people go and use this this architecture with this like pre-trained model, and mm-hmm. then, you know, create deepfakes with this architecture, right? So that's kind of low effort that can already be preempted yeah. by using this technology, because you know the way- We used to call that
0: script kiddies. I don't know if anyone uses that term anymore. I
1: think we should make a new one. because. But it's more the like, idea
0: that, like, you know, with with hacking, folks would just, you know, download some Perl script or whatever and run it against some site to find, you know, vulnerabilities.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you still had, it's funny because, you know, I guess SQL injections were, you know, were so easy to exploit in the early days. But even until, like, you know, like 10, 10 years ago or something, like, people were still finding SQL injection vulnerabilities. And... Um, So script kitties kind of like, we're still able to like work in the real world. So I think this kind of, you know, we should make a new term maybe like DL kitties or something, right? (laughs) Um, Just people- You heard it here first. (laughs) People trying to to use like uh, out of the box kind of stuff online. Transfer learning kitties? Yeah, (laughs) that's a good
0: one. (laughs) Pre-trained model kitties, there's something in there somewhere.
1: (laughs) But at the same time, you know, I I always uh, like, I respect anyone that, that tries to use these things out of the box that's the first step right out of the box from you know wherever you can find, put your hands on any of this technology and then start using it and try to learn from it mm-hmm. if it's not for doing something bad, right mm-hmm. uh, If it's uh, just to learn, uh, I encourage everyone right to just go on, on GitHub, try a bunch of uh, stuff and then see if they can modify it. like that's the way forward, right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you are doing deep fakes for an immoral purpose, that's definitely um, not, not good. Um, Yeah, but this technology, so just for this specific thing is already usable, uh, because we're able to, you know, find you're probably going to have the access to the to the weights and to the architecture. But this is a very like, constrained kind of attack in some sense. The more advanced types of attacks are called black box attacks. You could be like gray box where you know the architecture, but you don't know the weights of the architecture or like different types. Of, there's different types of settings for that. Mm-hmm. But um the black box, which is the most powerful, is just you You just have um, a black box where you send an image and then you get an image back or you get you, you send an image and you get like a class back, a dog or something. And then you're trying to um, kind of attack it without knowing almost anything about it. I think that's really interesting. And that's like where the promise lies in this because if someone can find very good black box attacks against a lot of these methods then you'll definitely have something that that can work in the real world
0: yeah yeah I mean you you almost envision a scenario where you know a Facebook or Twitter Google like when you upload a photo it's applying this method to all of your photos so that they're not susceptible to you know being used for nefarious purposes
1: hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And that's like the first kind of application that I had in mind. The first application that I had in mind was actually um, for celebrities where, mm-hmm. um, you know, they their likeness is, you know, so, you know, it has, actually has a big value, right? And a lot of people are targeting their pictures to try to modify them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that type of scenario where you can, you know, maybe, you know, they 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 can buy some type of service that protects their images, and then yeah, if you can generalize it, then you can have any type of platform online that does this. Um, yeah, and there's just so many interesting things, right? You could give permission to someone to use your picture, um, and then to like modify your picture, right? Uh, and then there are some you know technologies mm-hmm. up that that we've been thinking of in that
0: direction as well. Lots of uh, blockchain opportunities in there.
1: <laughs> I I feel like. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, kind of jump to blockchain when they're thinking about um, protecting images of of people or protecting media, but that's one way. This is another. I kind jump of to blockchain
0: app. when I want to make a joke about overhype technologies.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean we all fall into overhype sometimes. Um, that's that's definitely true. But I also think I don't know. Sometimes it brings attention that maybe will fade. But it's still good that these kinds of domains are having a lot of attention because they have a lot of promise, mm-hmm. and the people that stick with it are the ones that are gonna make things happen. And then the people that that leave, right? Okay, well they left, and if they they're not here to like make something happen, then that's mm-hmm. you know their their issue basically.
0: Uh, so is the the noise that you're injecting? Is it? parameterized with a single, like a single epsilon value, or are there characteristics to the noise, multiple, you know, characteristics that you're manipulating to make it work with a particular uh, model?
1: Yeah, so the the main attacks that we propose, so, and the paper is, is not just um, attacking image translation systems for deepfakes okay it's it it has a lot of other stuff for example we have um you know you have the image translation case but you also have the conditional case where i don't want to lose track of your question but i just want to say that we have basically several contributions that make it a little bit more than just oh this is you know a neat idea neat little idea right because i think the first kind of idea is is cool but also um the All the contributions that we do make this like a kind of like bigger kind of type of work Um, because the main idea of attacking these image translation systems, it's actually not that um, complicated to adapt some of the techniques that we already had. Like FGSM, fast gradient sign method, uh, uh, iterative FGSM, basically FGSM is just kind of taking a step in the direction of of the gradient. Um, for, for your image and then modifying your image so that you go away from the class that you want to classify this thing as. That's for the classifier case, right? In our case, you have the this loss, which is, you can have, like your main metric is, what happens if you translate the image without any attack? You have kind of like a ground truth output, right? Like this is what the picture is gonna look without any attack. And then you have a translation of your image um, so this is the thing that we can modify because the, the translation of your image with an, with an attack, right? That's the thing that we can modify. And now you want the difference between this ground truth output and this attacked output to be as big as possible and with some kind of metric, right? And we use, uh, L2 in the formulation of our attacks, but you could use, you know, a lot of different type of metrics. And we use like an image, image, um, level metric, which mm-hmm. goes like pixel, pixel, pixel to pixel differences in the, uh, using L2, right? And then you want to maximize this, right? You want your output, the attacked output to be as different as possible as the ground truth output would have been. So you can actually just do this. It's just an optimization, you know, problem.
0: I guess one of the things that jumps to mind is as opposed to like an L2 distance, uh, maximizing the ability to fool some kind of discriminator network.
1: Um, So we don't actually have to do that at all, actually, because, um, so to train these, these types of architectures, yeah, you have a generator that does the image translation, right. And then you have a discriminator and this type of game between the discriminator that's uh, creating the the translation and the, the generator, sorry, and the discriminator that's trying Mm -hmm. to detect whether it's a real or, or fake, um, image is actually what makes the output so good and makes it, um, you know, approximate these distributions so well without in, without too much blurriness, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the power of GANs. But we don't even need, you know, we kind of like throw away the discriminator in this process, just use the generator and it's, it just becomes like an optimization uh, problem.
0: Maybe the layer behind my question was, is, you know, the your L2 distance is really a proxy for perceived difference from the actual face. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. like how good L two is for, you know, really, you know, making the generated image far away from the face or um, you know, perceived the level of perceived distortion. And so that's where I thought maybe like some kind of discriminator trained discriminator thing could be better than L two. But
1: That's a really good question actually. I think, you know, you could think of, of, and like an L2 uh, distance. You could, you could think of, you know, the attack making just the image just a little bit brighter. And then the L2 distance would go up, right? Right. But, um, but so you would have a higher L2 distance between these two. But a human being would be like, oh, you know, it's a little bit brighter, but it's kind of still the same picture. So yeah, definitely it's not the perfect, um, thing. In the paper, we explain why, um, And on average, you know, it's, it's a good metric to use and we, we show examples. So we didn't really just go through the L1, L2 metric and be like, yeah, it's high. So this it's working. Right. We, we looked at a lot of qualitative examples, but the, the second, you know, the second step that you can take after this is definitely, um and i you know encourage anyone that wants to try this out actually to try it out because i'm trying other things so um <laughs> but if if anyone wants to use like a perceptual metric um so you know we have like vgg um for example vgg trained on faces is um a pretty good kind of proxy or, i mean it's kind of weird to say but it's kind of a proxy of per- perceptual of a perceptual metric so two faces that are similar in this like VGG 16 feature space mm-hmm. are, you know, you can actually c- kind of cluster them better in the, in, this, in this type of sense instead of using L2 metrics. So yeah, having a higher distance with a VGG, which is kind of like a discriminator in some sense. Yep. It's a neural network, right? Or you could do what you're saying is you could say, is this image you know you could have like a discriminator i just had this idea right now actually you could have a discriminator that that tells you oh this image is more or less distorted right and you want you train your discriminator to detect distorted images and you train your generator to distort the images and then you could have like a game in that in that way maybe mm-hmm. with a third, we're a second discriminator as well, but definitely like that's, that's uh, one of the big questions of systematizing. This is it's easier to systematize with classifiers because you know, when the class is wrong, there's just a number, right? The class is four, but we wanted five. So it's wrong. Right. In this case, you, you have something and that's the problem that I've been like bumping into all over this kind of area is, um, you're talking about human perception and trying to kind of like model a reaction of a human being, right, or or what the human being perceives in an image, and that's you know much more complex um, mm-hmm. for for generating
0: faces and for disrupting fix, right? So I started uh, a couple of questions ago asking about like the how the noise is parameterized, and um, and I think the question behind that question was, you know, is there you know, some way to just crank the noise up as much as you can before the image starts looking distorted and use that as a way, you know, d- does that get you closer to a gray box or a black box type of scenario? Or do you really have to, are there, you know, how nuanced is the? does the noise have to be to um, defeat a particular system
1: yeah that's actually a great question one thing that i really wanted to say that that i didn't get a chance to say before we started is um this is not just my work right like this is work with a really um, amazing collaborators at BU, um, so a uh, recent assist, um, research assistant professor, uh, Sarah Delbarjal, who helped me so much with this project, and then my advisor, Stan Sklaroff, right? And all of these mm-hmm. kind of ideas have been, like, discussed with them, and, you know, we've all, like, put so much, you know, work into this, right? Um, so um okay moving on from that basically yeah this is kind of like that question is really good because um one of the things that we did was try it on so first of all just try to see how sensitive any of these architectures is to just random noise right like gaussian noise Mm -hmm. or something and uh, some of them are super sensitive um if you I don't. I don't really want to want to say which ones, right? Because I don't want to just like single out any any. And it's not their fault, right? But some some architectures, if you inject just a little bit of random noise, then um, you can have very big perturbations in the output image. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first step, and some of them are very resistant to to noise. And then the, this finding holds to the adversarial attack case. So the, an adversarial attack is is just a, a sort of structured noise. Um, that is that is structured using, you know, basically you you use the gradient of, of the, the network to get the biggest type of disruption in the output possible, right? Um, so that doing an adversarial attack of same magnitude would be way more effective than just doing random noise of, of that same magnitude. But some architectures are just really sensitive to, to noise. That's another lesson of this, I think.
0: Your initial response to that question was talking about the broader contributions uh, to this paper beyond the kind of the simple deepfake disruption mechanism, if that's the right way to characterize it. Yeah, that's that's right. Walk us through the, you know, what you think are the, the biggest contributions here this
1: idea of attacking image translation sh- systems is pretty natural but then there's some speci- you know specificity of deep fake kind of image translation networks and mm-hmm. one of them is that you have you're always you almost always have a class or they're, you know, conditional image translation networks and your condition could be, or your class could be, um, for example, in Ganimation, you have the action units, which are, you know, small movements of the face that could like correspond to like smiling or moving your lips upward, et cetera, right? And then by combining them, you create expressions. Um, so these, these networks are conditional networks and you want to kind of attack them irrespective of the class. So my attack doesn't have to, if, you know, let's just take that. You don't
0: want it to only work on smiling faces or something.
1: Exactly. Like, yeah, maybe this person is going to make everyone smile in pictures, but you know, you don't even know what the other person's going to do. Maybe close your eyes, right? So yeah, for example, if you target an attack towards and in some of these architectures, you're tired to attack towards one class, then it doesn't t- transfer to other classes as well. And in some of them, it just a, an attack for one class just transfers completely to the others. And I think actually these two um, kind of properties, like the fragility to, of an architecture to noise and this type of transfer are actually related. That
0: sounds kind of interesting. And in that is it kind of saying that the fragility isn't necessarily a architectural trait but a like more specific like a trait of the weights of an architecture
1: yeah i think so i think the you know fragility of an architecture to attack is actually that's what i'm like kind of discovering now is tied not only to the type of architecture but to the weights and if you think about it the weights is just a function of the training data and the training kind of process right um mm-hmm. So the optimization process and the training data. Um, so these two things are pretty important, I would say. And it depends how important they are for each kind of architecture. And it's still like, this is, you know, complete. This is kind of like an intuition a little bit from what I've seen in my experiments. But um, I think there's a lot of like super interesting work to be done here. Because I think adversarial attacks actually are very exciting to me. And I've just gotten into them a little bit later, but you know, I've always like kind of wondered, like, how exactly do deep. Uh, models work in some sense. Like, why do they fail in certain cases and they don't fail in others? You know, this type of kind of explanatory process of, of the failures of a network or how to make it better, you know, or, you know, intuitions on how to make it better. So I think adversarial attacks are actually like a great window into, into fragility of an explanation of, of these neural networks. So that's one cool thing about this is by attacking image translation systems, I can actually see in their output, um like when i attack them what they are doing a lot of them so for example um you know this is a this is something good for a, a pretty specific i think but for stargan if you attack it then you have the whole image that changes all at once
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you have other architectures such as animation that are very targeted towards certain parts of the image that they're modifying so one architecture has learned how to kind of like change the whole frame at once and then one architecture has learned to do more like fine-grained types of changes inside of an image. And one is, you know, animation is more robust than StarGan.
0: So it's almost along the lines of work like Lime and other things where you're perturbing inputs or features and seeing how the network responds to the aim of understanding explainability or producing an explanation. You know, this is you're kind of almost at um, you know trying to explain or understand these networks through the disruptions that you're injecting. Yeah,
1: I think so. I don't know if actually this work, you know, I actually don't know about that work that, that you, that you just mentioned, but you know, going on from your explanation, I don't know if that has been done. Maybe it's been done for like classifiers, but I don't know if it's been done for image translation networks. And I think mm-hmm. that's like a, a huge frontier that this kind of opens, um, is to try to understand what's going on. And then if you know, so for example, just, you know, uh, example off the bat, if you know that you're, you're, um, Image Translation Network is changing the whole frame when you actually just need to change the hair color of the person. Then you could think of this as a weakness, right? And then you could think of how do I change the architecture or the training procedure to correct this, right? And there are techniques to do it, which are which are pretty cool, I think. So yeah, definitely it's it's delving into this type of explainability. When I guess that's also fashionable right now. <laughs> but I think it's a huge thing. I th- my lab does a lot of... of um, of explainability in, in deep networks.
0: Okay, okay. Um, so the, this kind of broader understanding of these architectures is uh, another contribution of the paper. What else? Um,
1: mm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. We were we were <laughs> on <yeah>. that question. <laughs> kind of easy to get lost. So um, that was a, that was one of one of our contributions: is conditional image translation networks and and doing building attacks that generalize to all of the different types of of. Um, of classes so yeah it doesn't just work if someone's trying to put a smile on your face it also works when you're when someone's trying to close your eyes in an image right mm-hmm. or it doesn't just work if someone's trying to make you uh you know um, blonde or something it works also when someone tries to make your hair darker or something mm-hmm. um so that's that's one thing the, the other thing is um so kind of like okay now we have an attack typical in this kind of area is you have an attack uh, what are the defenses, right? Like, what is someone that has like an actual like beneficial um, image translation network? What can they do to defend against this type of attack? Because you could also think about the scenario where, you know, in this scenario, you're trying to, you know, obstruct deepfakes. So you're trying to obstruct something that is done without permission of the users and that can be malicious. But you can imagine a scenario where someone attacks. Let's say I don't know, just off the top of my head. Like, let's say you have like an an X-ray. Um, and 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 you have like an image translation network that makes some zones more visible to a surgeon or whatever right like it's it's hard to come up with an example right now but going with that example you can imagine a malicious actor introducing one of our attacks or something like this to to this x-ray to make the output not work right so what can a person do to defend against this and one of the defenses that holds up to to all the scrutiny is adversarial uh, training. Uh, I think it's done by Madri et al in 2017. uh, I think that's the paper. So basically the idea is just, it's a very very simple, very powerful idea. You have PGD, which is a very uh, strong attack, projected gradient descent, and you just augment your data set with a lot of images that have been trained, that have been attacked using PGD. And then you train your neural network with those images. And it, gets it becomes a you know more robust to these types of adversarial attacks in this type of sense that I've been explaining um and this also is so a lot of these defense mechanisms or you know defenses against adversarial attacks are so hard to make because in security your defense has to be valid even when an attacker knows the defense you're going to use so a lot of defenses fall apart in this in, in this scenario, and this is one that that um, doesn't or hasn't at this point. So w- one of the things is it's not foolproof. We can still attack the network, so we're able to do this adversarial training for GANs, and we have like these formulations because you can you can you can train the the generator with adversarial noise, but you can also train the generator and the discriminator. So you attack both the real image, but you attack the real and the fake image. Uh, so, so there's like different ways of doing it. The the most powerful way of doing it is is doing the generator plus discriminator adversarial training, um, and it does defend against some certain types of attacks. But so it makes it more robust. But in the end, if we have a very strong attack, it's it's still pretty successful. That's one thing that we learned. Um, and in the future, more investigation in, in this is kind of needed to see exactly you know how much um, robustness it does bring actually. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and the last one. <laughs> there's, there's one more country. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, um, I think all of these are pretty interesting, and and you know, I w- I would like to work on all of them. Uh, it's impossible, right? Um, so that this one is um the last one is um in in a certain scenario where you can blur the so my advisor just told me like oh okay you can attack these images. Great. But what happens in the, in the real scenario, if you're like a malicious actor, you run into one of these images and you're like, I suspect that this one's attacked, right? So I'll just blur it a little bit um with you know a gaussian blur or an an average blur or something and then maybe since the attack is high frequency structured noise on top of the image then maybe this will destroy the attack and so that's one thing in this in our scenario it's it's different than the classifier scenario in our scenario we have to kind of also be careful of this kind of like gray box um scenario where we don't we know maybe the architecture that they're using and the and the the weights that they're using, but we don't know what pre-processing they're using. So there are some ideas in this domain, like expectation over transformation, where you just grab kind of like um, the expectation of all of the losses through with all of the transformations that you think of. And in that paper, they did a cropping and rotating, but they didn't do blurring. So I think our paper is one of the... You know, to the best of my knowledge, it's it's uh, one that is one that addresses blurring in this type of scenario of transferability acro- across blurring, but also, um yeah, because we notice that blurring is actually really effective. You blur an, an, a, a naive attack just a little bit, then you can definitely tra- translate the image, and there's almost no downside because the output image looks as good. And when we, t- when
0: when you say attack here, are you? speaking in the sense of kind of traditional adversarial attack or and or you know your work where you're trying to prevent manipulation which the manipulation is kind of an attack in this
1: yeah what, what the the terminology is actually uh what we try to do is is deep fake and deep faker right uh-huh. <laughs> that's or or manipulate you know and that's that's the the person that's trying to create the deep fake and then attacker mm-hmm. uh, and attack and disruption right is kind of the the person that's trying to, yeah, do an adversarial attack on the image to prevent the manipulation of it. Mm-hmm. So in some c- sense, the attacker is defending against something done onto them in this scenario, right? But it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to keep the terms, um, yeah. yeah and then the funny thing is like defense is actually the deep faker that's trying to defend against you know the attacker right
0: right, right. Um, yeah
1: and in this case actually so in the in the paper for the blurring thing um we propose kind of like a different kind of iterative heuristic method which is faster than uh, expectation over transformation but um as effective um for at least for our scenario and in that experiment that we did expectation over transformation is great work and all of these you know Honestly, all of the works that I cite in that in 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 this paper um, are just are just really great and just like big steps in in this kind of field and I respect mm-hmm. all those people like immensely. So um, it's just hard to list all of the work that has kind of influenced
0: what we do. So the paper kind of explores these areas and um, what didn't we cover yet? I mean, I think I think we covered everything. One of
1: the things is that maybe I neglected to say is that. It's, this is another really interesting kind of thing about the papers so if you have these blurring things so if you have different types of blur um, you can have like different magnitudes of the blur right and every time you're attacking a different kind of blur type, you're attacking at a different type of kind of like scale if you if you think about it mm-hmm. uh, you're adding like, Higher and higher frequency noise, and then you're adding lower and lower frequency noise. So mm-hmm. that's why we call it, so our attack is called spread spectrum attack. It it kind of is inspired in uh, spread spectrum watermarking, where you could put a watermark in a lot of different free in the frequency domain, a lot of different kind of in the frequency band, basically, mm-hmm. and not just not just in one, but just in in, in a, a spread you know spread spectrum manner. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is kind of the idea of 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 that. Defense that we that we present in the paper. Yeah, and just I don't know, just for future work, there's so much interesting stuff there.
0: Are you continuing work on this, or are you working on other projects now?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I tried to like double my efforts in in this because I feel like this is one of the project that ha- that has really given me you know a lot of ideas and different in so many different directions. So it's Mm -hmm. actually a little bit stressful because there's maybe a a lot of ground to cover and if anyone is (laughs) listening to this and wants to collaborate, um, yeah, just send me an email, you can find it on the, on the paper and then, uh, and we can set up a collaboration because I think, you know, there's at least like three to four directions that are very different, but also super interesting.
0: Well, Nathaniel, thanks so much for taking the time to share a bit about what you're working on.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. This is a great opportunity and uh, very, you know, best of luck with all of your next shows and with all this craziness that's happening right now, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. You're, how are things uh, for you? You're, staying, staying inside, staying safe, all that? Yeah, uh, absolutely.
1: Like everyone should stay inside as much as possible um, and just go outside to shop or, or you know, as much as you can, right? As much as, as life allows Again. Me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but definitely here in Boston, there's nothing going on. Everything's closed and BU has been closed. You know, I don't know, maybe we'll be like this for, uh, for around, you know, four months, three months.
0: Yeah, who knows? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And uh, again, take care. All right. Have a good one. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit TwimmelAI.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.